Solomon has been wrestling with the question of life and what it's all about. We have for the last several weeks, and we've consulted him, Solomon that is, in the book of Ecclesiastes to be specific because he was wise and he was wealthy and he, he was experienced and he probably did a better job than perhaps you and I could at trying to arrive at a fit conclusion to the meaning of life. Uh, but he came up short. I don't think any of us finds his conclusion, at least at this point, to be acceptable. He said it's all futility. He said his investigation of the best of what life has to offer left him feeling empty and futile. And he had plenty. Uh, he spared himself no experience of worldly pleasures. He attained to very high position. He participated in magnificent building projects. He accumulated, because he had so much wealth, uh, just a vast array of possessions. And even at the end of it all, he said it doesn't equal to uh, purpose. It doesn't equal to meaning. I don't know why I'm here. He referred to his um, dismal life experience as life under the sun, meaning uh, life confined to the reality of uh, earth. Uh, left him empty. If one has no perspective above the sun, if one knows not of spiritual realities, if one knows perhaps of the existence of God but doesn't know how to access him really in a personal and meaningful way, that's the term uh, under the sun that Solomon used. And so uh, he, he's just about finished in investigating uh, and searching for meaning and purpose in life until he comes to an ultimate conclusion about it, and it's the conclusion which we will um, look at, the Lord willing, next week. And I promise you, next week will be encouraging. Uh, the, the last several weeks have been a little discouraging, but we've tried to be honest about one's excursion. Do you know the world is filled with dismal, depressed, and discouraged people whose experience is confined to an under-the-sun reality? I just wanted to highlight how tragic it is to live life apart from the giver of life, how sad and empty are the life experiences of so many, even uh, those who seem on the outside to have it together as surely Solomon appeared to have it together. So I don't, I'm sorry if I've been bringing you down over the last few weeks. I don't really mean it. In fact, I hope you find a source of encouragement if you're a Christian uh, because you're not living life under the sun. You're tasting the abundant life. What's more, you're tasting eternal life for to know the God who resides above the sun is in fact to begin to experience eternal life. So next week we'll see what conclusion Solomon came to and I promise you next week this, this glaring sign will not be here because futility will give way to fulfillment and freedom in his life and you'll see how, uh, Lord willing, next week. A anyway, one of the things that really distressed him, perhaps more than anything else, one of the things that caused him to really despair of life uh, was his recognition of the fact that he was trapped in time. He couldn't get out of it. The timing of all key life events, he determined, was preordained. He didn't exactly know by who. Preset, predetermined. And if that is true, if all of the key events of life are already set in stone, then what difference, this was Solomon's conclusion, what difference does anything make? What difference does your life make? 
What impact could you possibly have on life? He really fell below the line of despair when he realized that in spite of uh, his efforts and labors, so what? What impact does he really have? Here today, gone tomorrow. And he can neither determine when he gets here and when he departs from here. Everything is preordained. He's trapped in time. Time is his master. And he could never get to the point where he had mastery over time. And so this is what he said. It's in Ecclesiastes 3.1. By the way, someone sent a note suggesting I'd be sure to put the scripture references. I've neglected to do that over the last few weeks. So I don't know who you are. But anyway, thanks for the suggestion. And as you can see, we are complying. So keep your cards and letters coming. This is Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 1. Solomon said, There is an appointed time for everything, and there's a time for every event under heaven. He despaired of that. There's already a preordained time for everything, and therefore, what difference do you make? What difference do I make? What difference does anything make? You can't change anything. You have no real impact on life. You're not in control. All of your best efforts and labors result in futility. Everything, you see, this supported his present conclusion. Everything is an exercise in futility. You can't change a thing. Every event concerning humankind has already been worked out, predetermined, set in stone. And to emphasize this truth, Solomon, I think he spews forth at this. He's emotional. I don't think he declares uh, in a very calm way. I think if you read what he wrote, he's spewing it forth. And this is this whole collection of seven pairs of extreme opposites. You know the text in Ecclesiastes where there's a time for this and there's a time for that? Uh, someone wrote a song about it a long time ago. I, I, I will spare you um, singing it. And, and they misinterpret the whole idea. Uh, they take the passage as if it's a beautiful, poetic, you know, nice-sounding thing. But no, it was a cry of despair <laughs> by the writer. He, he takes these seven pairs of opposites because it's a, it's a literary device. It was known to ancient Jews, but it's a common literary device where if you take two opposites in trying to make a point... You are essentially saying that what I am saying includes both the two opposites and everything in between as well. So it's like saying um, from head to toe. You know when we use that expression, from head to toe, one extreme, the other extreme. It's a literary device. And when you say, oh, from head to toe, that means everything even in between. And so that's what Solomon is about to do now, just to express how dismal he felt about the preordained nature of life events, about how he was trapped in time. And so the first set of the seven opposites, which he relates to us, is this one. It's in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 2. He says, there is a time a set time to give birth, and a time, it's a predetermined time, to die. And if there is a preordained time to be born, and a preordained time uh, 
to cease to live, then that means everything in between these two extremes is also set in stone, predetermined. You can't alter it. You have nothing to do with it. You're just a slave to time. It has mastery over you. This really, really upset this guy. Uh, These two events are the beginning and end of life, and therefore, if the beginning and end of life are out of his control, therefore is everything in between. Nobody has control over anything. The stages of life come and go, and you can't do a thing about it. Therefore, what difference does anything make? We do not determine the day of our birth, and we cannot alter the day, the time of our death. This unavoidable reality, the inevitability of death, was very, very disturbing to Solomon. And so he came to this very dismal conclusion. What difference does your life make since it is going to be entirely nullified by the time of your death? So are you encouraged yet? That's what he said. It's in the Bible. What difference does your life make since, in point of fact, your life has no enduring value? Here today, gone tomorrow, and you can neither determine the today or the tomorrow. That's it. You're just passing through. Your life has no enduring value. So why try to even live rightly? Why try to live wisely. Solomon, we're told, asked for wisdom when God was ready to offer him other options. He was the wisest man. He knew how to live life skillfully and tried to do it. But now he's coming to the conclusion, why? Why try to live wisely since the wise man and the foolish man are going to experience the same inevitable fate? They're both going to die. And neither the wise man nor the fool can determine when. And so he said in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 15, as is the fate of the fool, it will also befall me. Why then have I been extremely wise? He's not boasting. He's saying, why have I valued wisdom, living rightly? Why have I tried to become wiser in navigating the waters of life? Why? What difference does it make? The fool dies, the wise man dies. In this closed system of life under the sun, where nothing enters in and nothing can get out. You're trapped by time. What difference does anything make? So Solomon concluded there's really no advantage to living wisely over living foolishly since all lives, no matter how they have been lived, are going to end in death. And what's more, the one who dies doesn't even know when, can't do a thing about it. Well, that realization led Solomon to this conclusion in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 17. So I hated life. That's what he said. For the work which had been done under the sun was grievous to me, because everything is futility and striving after wind. And so there's that oft-repeated expression, striving after wind. It's, it's an illusion. 
You cannot catch up to the wind. You can't use it as a mooring point. You can't use it to give you some stability and substance in life. It's the wind. Poof. It vanishes. He said, that's what my pursuit of meaning in life has been like. Since death brings life to a screeching halt, well, then the fruit of one's labor in life comes to an abrupt end at the point of death. And so, therefore, the fruit of one's labor is a waste of time. Not only that, here's the conclusion he came to. Why even work hard at being a responsible and wise person? Because when you die, what's going to happen to the fruit of your labor? Where's it going to go? Who is it going to go to? He had this scary thought. He accumulated a lot of wealth. He was a rich guy. He had this scary thought that when he's when he dies, and it's going to come suddenly, it'll take him by surprise. He can't control the date or the time. When he dies, all of his stuff is going to go to somebody else, very likely someone who's undeserving of all his stuff. He worked hard. He saved. <laughs> he made good investments. He labored. For what? It's all going to be nullified at the point of his death. It's going to go to someone who knows, maybe some irresponsible kid. You know what really, really blew his mind? He was a wealthy man. He realized that at the point of death, he's going to be separated from his checkbook. It freaked him out, folks. And not just because he was Jewish. It's disturbing to everybody. Think about it. Think about it. What's the point of it all? So this was very, very disturbing to Solomon. In fact, he said in Ecclesiastes 2.18, I hated all the fruit of my labor for which I had labored. See the expression? Under the sun. For I must leave it to the man who will come after me. He had no choice. He had no control. It's going to be left to whoever his replacement is. And his replacement may be a man of good character and may not. Now, do you realize the perspective from which Solomon is writing? Lest you say, how could a Bible character think these things and say these things? Oh, come on. The Bible is very, very honest. Uh, the Bible is the best commentary on uh, uh, the human experience uh, that you could ever read. This is a human's experience with only partial and incomplete awareness of eternity. Solomon at this point in his life was acquainted with the maybe the eternity of death and dying but not with the eternity of living. He had an under the sun perspective and so based on this limited perspective which was his for a good deal of his life he concluded that it really doesn't make any difference how we live since it's all this. It's all Futility. What difference does it make? Listen, Solomon would have agreed with what I'm about to share with you. Listen, the average life expectancy consists of approximately 683,280 hours, or a 36,792,000 minutes, or 2.8 billion seconds. I got too much time on my hands. 
Sleep is going to use up about 12.3 million of those minutes. Some of you are using up your minutes right now. <laughs> Eating is going to use up about 3 million of those minutes. Working is going to use up about 13 million of those minutes. Personal hygiene and stuff like that is going to use up, uh, oh, about 1.5 million minutes, which leaves, on average, just about 6.5 million minutes of time left to live life. Good news. If you are 18, you have already used up approximately 25% of your allotted minutes. If you're older, you have far less left. It's just the way it is. And so Solomon would have counted the seconds and would have said, ah, what difference does it all make? On average, we're all allotted in some preordained way, only a certain volume, a certain amount of those seconds and minutes and all the rest, and then you just die, and that's all there is to it, and the time of your death is predetermined, it's preset, and then you die, and there's just isn't anything more, it's all futility. Well, that's how Solomon saw it, while he had only an under-the-sun perspective, and it caused him to really fall into very severe despair. And so he said, his words, not mine, you can find it in Ecclesiastes, he said, I completely despair. And that was what he felt, and frankly, it's what many in our day feel. Why? Well, I think it's because there can be no ultimate meaning to life if there is no life after death. There can be no ultimate meaning to life if this is all there is. If there is no life after this life, this life cannot be meaningful. It's too temporary, it's too final, it's too limited. And at a time in his life, Solomon was largely unaware of life after this life. And this kept him from being satisfied with this life. And so he lived in hopeless despair because... He saw death as the final event with nothing, absolutely nothing to follow. Folks, have you discovered that you cannot really begin to live until you are absolutely hopeful about what will happen to you when you die? Solomon had no such hope of life after death, do you? Today, some of us had the privilege of attending a the homegoing service for one of our dear uh, members, uh, young-ish in her 50s, cancer took its toll. No, it didn't. Um, the Lord Jesus called her home. Uh, he made the final decision, not cancer. Uh, we called it a celebration service. In fact, uh, in the last few days of her life, she commanded me to make sure it was. She said... Uh, don't worry about me. I'm fine now, she said. I'm worried about the rest of you. She said, tell them that. That's what she told me to tell them. So her life, uh, even though brief, here, 
was filled with satisfying endeavor, filled with a joyous walk through life uh, with her Lord and Savior, uh, the Lord Jesus. She was so excited, even in the midst of treatment after treatment, about an opportunity to minister to the spiritual needs of those who were ministering to her physical needs. Ah, she said, make sure if tears are shed at my celebration service, it's not uh, uh, in a spirit of hopelessness. I'm fine. She said, I can't wait to see the Lord Jesus face to face. I wonder what he'll be wearing, she said. She said, you people are down here studying books of the Bible. I will meet with the authors. Can you see how her life, though, yes, ravaged by this uh, chronic illness. Can you see how healthy spiritually, how rich spiritually, how filled up to overflow she was spiritually because she had escaped the entrapment of life under the sun She came to know the Savior who pierced the space-time dimension, came into this life experience to free us from it. This life cannot have meaning in spite of accumulation of possessions and accomplishment and achievements and all the rest. It cannot. It's fleeting at best. Unless one understands what's going to happen to you thereafter, it is inevitable that we're born and then we die. The first time only... But if you know the Lord Jesus, oh, I love what, don't you love this? He said it to Martha, and it was on the occasion of the passing of her brother. She grieved a little bit, maybe too much. And he said, you know what he said, I am the resurrection and the life. He said, I didn't come to give you a lesson about resurrection and life. I are it. It is so inseparably uh, intertwined with my being, I can make an I am statement. It was his fifth I am statement in the Bible. You know, I am the way, I am the truth. I am the resurrection and the life. And he said, he who lives and believes, everybody lives. Not everyone believes. He who lives and believes in me ain't going to die. I messed up the grammar. He spoke better than me. But that's what he said. Not going to die. Going to live forever. And then he said, do you believe this? That's what he said. Do you believe this? So, so folks, you cannot find... You know what your life experience has been before you came to know the Lord Jesus Christ? You weren't fulfilled. You weren't satisfied. You were as empty as Solomon. You experienced the void in your life. You experienced it in his, and now you're grateful every day. You thank God every day for having rescued you, not only from the penalty of sin, but from hopeless despair in being entrapped by time under the sun. You have hope of eternal life. And here is hope of eternal life for anyone who will believe it. Listen, it's real simple. It's the most famous uh, verse in... All the Bible, John 3.16. You know it as well as I do. For God, so loved to such an extent 
that he wrote a song about it. No. For God so loved the world. We can't hardly tolerate it anymore. It's so corrupted by sin. But he loved the people who live in it. That he gave. What did he, what did he give? <gasps> you can't replace an only begotten anything. You cannot replace a one-of-a-kind item, let alone a one-of-a-kind son. Why did he do it? That, your turn. Whosoever, you know what that means? Anybody. Whosoever works hard at being a good person. No, okay, thanks. Don't throw things. Whosoever. Ah. Oh, that's such a hard thing because it's such an easy thing. You know what's so hard about it? You can't boast about it. Nuts. I can't boast about believing. I can only boast about doing. I want to do. I want to earn my salvation so I could tell you, look, I earned it. No, it's all reduced to believing. That whosoever believes in him should not but have? See, so he came to free us from hopeless despair. Oh, yeah, we're born once, we die once. Christian, you just change your location. Departure was the term Paul used. You move on, it's better. In the military, um, we used to call, uh, wherever we were assigned, um, Temporarily, TDY. And, and then when we got to our permanent location, PCS. Permanent change of station. Temporary duty. Temporary duty, my fellow aliens and strangers. Our citizenship is not here. Let's be good citizens, sure. But this is not our citizenship. Our citizenship... This is TDY. We're just waiting for PCS orders. When's it going to come? Oh, Solomon's right. It is predetermined, preordained, preset. But if it's preordained, one ought to ask the logical question, by who? Or is it by whom? Whatever. If there is someone who has the capacity to preordain every significant event in our life, including our birth and our passing, we ought to come to know him. We ought to worship him. We ought to revere him. We ought to defer to him. And he made himself known. In the person of Jesus Christ. So we're saved from the hopeless despair which Solomon experienced. Folks, do you realize the extent to which the Lord Jesus has lifted us from hopeless despair? It was around 125 AD and there was a Greek man by the name of Aristides. And he was really perplexed about this growing new movement uh, called The Way. Uh, they, 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 they were Christians, and they were growing like crazy. And he wrote a letter to one of his friends, equally uh, perplexed, in, in which he commented on this new and astoundingly fast-growing group of people called Christians. And in his letter, Aristides wrote, If any righteous man among the Christians passes from this world, they rejoice and offer thanks to God. And they accompany his body with songs and thanksgiving as if he were setting out from one place to another nearby. That guy had it right. 
Aristides had it pegged. If only he knew the means by which he too could move joyously out of this life into a far better one. Folks, under the sun, there is no hope. We live, sure, for a predetermined period of time. We use up our seconds and that's it, and then we die. But the Lord Jesus came to earth to live and to die and then to live again. Up from the grave he arose, you see. And in so doing, he defeated the last enemy, death, for all who would put their confident trust in him. Do you trust him with your life? Do you trust him with your eternal life? He said in John 6, verse 40, For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him will have eternal life. If you believe in Jesus, you have eternal life. And if you have eternal life, you have been freed from hopeless despair because death will not have the last word over you. Your Lord will. <clears throat> and that's why we bow before you, Lord Jesus, Lord of life. Yes, we trust you with our life here Yes, we trust you with our eternity. You have obtained it for us. You have secured it for us. You have promised it to us. And you have never broken your word. And because of this grand and glorious future reality, we can make it in the present. Yes, we can endure its hardships and we can even find meaning in them. Lord, you have freed us from hopelessness from meaninglessness, from futility. And thank you that you're willing to do it, even for the few perhaps here tonight who are experiencing hopelessness and despair under the sun and apart from you. As only you can, would you just invade? Would you penetrate hearts and minds? And I suppose most of all, the will of the person still yet apart from you so that person would will to accept you as savior so that that person would say come into my life lord jesus forgive me like everyone else i too have sinned i accept you as my sin's substitute and source of life full and meaningful here and of eternal duration Thank you, Lord Jesus, for recording Solomon's excursion. It reminds us of our own, and it imprints upon our hearts and minds just how much you have saved us from futility and an unsatisfying life and meaningless and given us a sense of purpose and spread abroad in our hearts the experience of an abundant, meaningful, and full life. We are called by your name. We are Christ ones, and we are privileged and honored and blessed, and we love you for first loving us. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.